Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. All right, so we are in our study in Revelation chapter 2. We are finishing up. We are kind of in the middle of the seven churches. And so we are talking about a church called Thyatira, right? And I know what you're thinking, like, really? Father's Day talking about Jezebel. Wow, pastor, see how you lined that one up. I'm just preaching where we're at in the Word. And so Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of, their, of her works. And I will strike her dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. And the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Happy Father's Day. As I was studying, I was reading one commentary, and, and he said, you know, you're looking at Pergamum, and you're looking at Thyatira, and they're struggling with very similar issues. Idolatry, pagan worship, sexual immorality. And I liked how he said it. In Pergamum, this was a compromised church, but Thyatira is a corrupted church. Meaning in, in Pergamum, it almost seems like the, the minority were those that were compromised, but the whole of the church was doing okay. But the roles are kind of flipped here in Thyatira, where almost the whole of the church is corrupted. And there's a small remnant of those that want to continue to walk in faith in Jesus. And they're the minority. They're within this corrupted church. And as we've seen through uh, every letter to any of these seven churches, the vision that we have of Jesus is absolutely correlated and means something to the church that he's speaking to. And so what we see of Jesus here is his, his eyes, a flame of fire, his feet are a burnished bronze. And if you go back to Revelation 1 when we were walking through that, it's pointing to the purity and judgments of Jesus that purity matters to God's church. And that there is judgment 
for them if we walk outside of those bounds of what he would expect from us. And you look at this great commendation, like he had great things to talk about this church. Like every year, at the end of the year, we're talking through where we're gonna look at for next year, and so at the beginning of 24, just like we've done the last few years, we'll have Vision Sunday. We get together, we talk about where God is leading us, but we also look back to see where we've been and the things that we've done in this last year. And I would love to be able to give the similar report that Jesus has of Thyatira. He goes, I know your works. I know your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. Like this is a growing church in every aspect. Like these are good things to hear from the church. And and it's not only are they growing, their latter works are better than the first. It's like you're only getting better. It's kind of rough at the beginning, maybe a little bit, kind of learning how to walk as a church. I understand that. But your latter works are exceeding the first. You're growing in your love, not just love for God, but even love for others, possibly even love for their enemies. You're growing in your faith. You live in a crazy culture, but you're holding fast to your faith. You're not letting those external circumstances impact this internal reality that you have in me. You're growing in your service. You're looking at the church and not saying, hey, what's the least that I can do? But you're looking at the church and say, what's the greatest thing I could do for the impact of the gospel to go forth in my church body? You're growing in your service. And then your patient endurance. These are all very positive things. But Jesus says, but I have this against you meaning that there's not enough good things that we can do to cause God to overlook the sin that is in our lives or the sin that is in our church. That our lives aren't a scale of good and bad, and if if there's, oh, I had a pretty rough Friday, Saturday night, you know, kind of partying out there, and so now Monday through Friday, I I gotta work this out, I gotta do a lot of good things to try to counterbalance this out. No, that's workspace salvation where you're trying to outwork the bad so you have a right standing with God. No, we are saved by grace through faith. We already have a right standing with God because we're justified by him, by his works, what he has done, not by what we have done. And so if we are saved by grace, then how should we live? Walk by faith and trust in him. We don't try to outwork the bad that we do. And so even for us, there's looking, Jesus looking at our lives, there's not enough good that we can do that he would ignore the sin in our life. He is still a God of righteousness and holiness. He is still a God of purity. He's still a God that says, hey, I don't want just good orthodox. I need good orthopraxy as well. That there's not enough that you can believe right to make me overlook wrong living whatsoever. So even though you are growing in your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Now, if you have a son, um, and maybe you're getting ready to send him off to college, or maybe you have, in a couple of years, hopefully you can kick that can down the road, maybe even a little bit longer, he's probably going to call you and say, hey, I want to invite somebody to Thanksgiving. I have somebody really special that I want you to meet. That's code for your son just met a woman, right? And if a a young lady walks into your house and they introduce her as Jezebel, you kick her right out, right? (laughs) Right out of there. 
Susie, good name. Gertrude, rock on. Sarah, biblical name. Jezebel, not the biblical name that you want to see, right? So obviously some kind of symbolism back to the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, this is one of the most evil individuals in all of the Old Testament was a lady named Jezebel. I did not line that up purposefully on Father's Day. Okay, I'm not trying to come after you ladies. Just reading the scriptures as we're at them. But it says that, yeah, you're growing all these great things, but you tolerate this woman, Jezebel. And that word tolerate means to allow. It's the same word used in Luke 23, 34. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. See, Jesus never asked the Father to forgive anybody. He forgave sins himself. That word forgive used there in the Greek is the same word for tolerate or allow. So when Jesus was praying, he said, Father, allow them to do this. Don't stop them. They don't know what they're doing. They think they're just killing some rebel, that some rabbi trying to win a few people off and pull them away from the things of God. That's what they think that they are doing. But allow them to do this because this is your plan, that I would go to a cross for the sins of the world and that my blood sacrificed would be salvation for the world. So allow this to happen, don't stop it. That's used in the positive, but here, same word, Jesus is saying you're allowing this Jezebel to operate in your church. And we kind of have to ask, well, what are we allowing? What's going on? See, the culture of our lives, not the culture like when we talk about like the worldly culture and their value systems, but any set of beliefs, value systems of anything. You could have a culture of your life, a culture of your family. You know, we talk about the culture of Calvary and what we want it to be, the staff level at the board level, what's the culture of that organization. And culture is set by what you define, right? So what is success? What is failure? What is good ministry? What is important to us? I think of the movie Rudy, right? If you remember, they're watching football and one of the friends from the neighborhood is over and he asked the dad, sir, could we, could we change the channel and watch a little bit of this game? And he said, son, in this house we watch Notre Dame football. He defines what is important in his family. And we do that. We set the culture for our lives, for our families, and even in the church. We define what the culture is. And so that is a great spot. Real quick, dads, you stand at the door of your houses. And what you allow in and what you do not allow in is up to you. That is the burden that God has put upon you. That is the leadership that has been put upon you. Look at your lives. What are you allowing in that does not need to be there? What are you al not allowing that needs to be there? That is up to you. Lead well. Understand the responsibility. You stand at the door. We, I've said that to my kids before. Hey, we're Pierce's. We follow the Lord. We, we, we're not gonna do that, not in our house. We're not about that business. And there's other things that's like, nope, this is what we're gonna do. Well, you don't understand, everybody else is, they're, they're not going, and well, why can't we? No, this is what we're about, this is what we're gonna do. That everything we say yes to, we're saying no to something else. And so we, we are mindfully looking at, what are we saying yes to? And what are we saying no to? What are we allowing into our homes? Fathers, men, guard the gate. 
to your homes and what you allow. The risk is great. And so culture is set by what we define, what we celebrate, right? And what we allow. And we have to look at our lives, look at our hearts, and say, where, where are we allowing this Jezebel to continue on? You're probably looking around thinking, like, all right, who's the Jezebel here this morning? Who is allowing her to operate? Because it's not what we allow in the world. That's not what Jesus is, per se, slapping their hand about. That's what, they're not in trouble for what's allowing to go on in Thyatira, the city, even though it's horrible. We're not in trouble for what's allowed to happen at the Lake of the Ozarks, even though there's horrible things that do. It's what we allow in us. It's what we allow in our church. So this Jezebel, I think, is just symbolism just to use that very Old Testament, very evil person there saying, yeah, you have a like person there. And this is the fun part of Revelation where you're trying to interpret, okay, who, who is he really referring to? And you got different schools of thought. One, one school of thought believed that this Jezebel was referencing the pastor's wife. Any of you walk up to my wife and call her a Jezebel, I will throw hands. Only I get to call her. No, it's easy. <laughs> some believe it was a pastor's wife. Some believe it was some woman of influence. And others believe it was this kind of a movement that, that Jesus personified as an adulterous, evil woman. But it was actually a group of people that were walking in this thinking and this wrong living and wrong teaching. But whichever way, we're going to address her as if it's a woman, because that's what Jesus did, just to stay on that. But what we know about her is she supported and encouraged idolatry and sexual immorality in the church. Not someone that was supporting away from the Lord outside of the church. It was somebody who called themselves a follower of Jesus, who had influence to influence others, had some kind of position or influence or whatever, that it, she could move other people in that same thinking and that same living. That she encouraged and supported this idolatry and the sexual immorality. And Jesus says, you've tolerated it. So it's not even her and those that are going with her. It's those that say, you know what, that's wrong, that's sin, but we never said anything about it. And we do that a lot. Even today in the church, we don't want to say anything. And it's hard, it's difficult. How do we approach people that we know are living in sin? Well, number one, I would say, are they a believer? Because we don't need to call out an unbeliever's sin. We need to call them to grace. We need to call them to salvation. We don't need behavior modification first. We need spiritual transformation of a dead heart. But if it is somebody that is a follower of Jesus, and they're wandering away and they're living in sin, yeah, how do we approach that? If you figure it out, let me know. It's a difficult thing. That's the tension of Christianity, that we live in the tension of grace and truth, and we can't compromise one for the other. We can't say, oh, I'm a sinner too. They're a sinner. Who am I to call it out in them? You're the stronger brother or sister that needs to. You're the one that should be discipling them and leading them and showing them and encouraging them what it means to walk with Jesus and how to put restrictions and boundaries on your life so that their life would honor Christ. And in doing that, your life is now honoring Christ. That's who you are. And then sometimes we go to the other side of it and think, well, there's no grace and they're too far gone past 
you know, grace and they're too far in their sin and, you know, there's no hope for them. Nobody's too far gone past grace. Nobody's too far deep into sin for God not to be able to redeem them. And even one day he might be your pastor. Some of you know my testimony. But we can't allow to tolerate it. And it's one thing for us to walk into sin ourselves, right? Like we make our choices and our choices make us. You know, some people, I, I, I get a little frustrated when people say things like, oh, I just didn't have a choice in the matter. Oh, you absolutely did. You just didn't want to endure the consequences of your choices. That's the issue that you had. You absolutely have a choice. Well, what happens if I stand firm for my faith and what if I lose my job? Then you lose your job. It looks like you got a new job. Isn't that fun? What if I lose friendships? You're gonna get new friends, it sounds like. Sounds like your life has been opened up to find some new friends that are actually gonna encourage you in your walk and not pull you away from your walk. And I know it, it sounds a little easier than it is, because it is. There, there's some really hard consequences of what it means to stand firm in our faith for Jesus, but we have options. Even for those in Thyatira at this time, there were the guilds where these, uh, a lot of these Christians were craftsmen. That'd be woodworking or silversmithing, and they would make false idols to these foreign gods. And to be a part of these guilds, like if you weren't, there was no way you were gonna get any kind of work. So you had to be a part of these guilds. And it wasn't just making these idols, even though they felt convicted about that, that they continued to practice their immorality and their pagan worship as a part of the guild. And some believe that's what this Jezebel was saying. Like, okay, you're a silversmith, and you're making these false idols to another god, but these guilds, they practice sexual immorality in their, in their uh, worship of these false gods, and yeah, you gotta make a living, so yeah, it, it's okay for you to compromise your purity, your holiness, and your righteousness, because we understand you need to put food on the table. And there were Christians that had that mentality. Well, I gotta make a living, to what one early church father wrote, do you really need to live then? <laughs> you have options. Take this life, give me Jesus. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But we live so much as if we die and that means loss. We have options in the matter. But are we willing to stand firm on the consequences of it? Yeah, it's gonna be a terrible, hard thing to live for Jesus in a world that absolutely hates him. But he overcame the grave. What's a little turmoil here and there? Let it get a little spicy. Let it get a little frisky and fun. I think it's gonna be kind of fun. Figure that out. Hey, how are we gonna to respond to the broken world around us? How, how are we gonna head on tackle some of the big issues of our culture in the name of Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love and at the same time holiness, righteousness and truth that's kind of exciting to me and think about it you didn't choose when you were born such a time as this that God saw us to be faithful to him and to be his church in a time like this Every once in a while I have that thought, oh, I was, wish I grew up in a different era. It had been so much easier. Would it? Such a time as this, that he saw us faithful enough to be his hands, his feet, his heart to the world around us. I think it excites me to see the world as crazy as it is. I'm, I can't control that, but I can be the light. I can be the hands and the feet of Jesus in that world. 
there's obviously ample opportunity to be grace and mercy and truth to him. But what am I allowing? What am I tolerating? Because it's one thing for me to walk into sin myself, but for me to lead someone else into sin, yeah, Jesus spoke about that, and he has some strong words. So if you want to turn to Matthew 18, if you have that mentality that Jesus is that brown-haired, blue-eyed, white-skinned, soft, petting sheep on a grassy knoll of a guy, your, your bubble's about to get burst real quick. Matthew 18 this is where the disciples are fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So he pulls a child in front of them. Can you imagine if you were that kid? Jesus used me as the example of the greatest. You're welcome. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't have let anyone live that one down. Verse 4, he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about social status. And look at verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin... So if we are causing our brothers in Christ to sin, to lead them away, this is what would be better for you to do. Hey, instead of leading people to sin, this is a better thing that you could do. And these words are written in red from Jesus. You need to have a great millstone fastened around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I love the warm words of Jesus. <laughs> they just bring a comfort, you know, and we're called to obey them. So the next time I see you leading somebody away, gonna find me, you know, millstone.com and order a couple of them. We already got the sea right out here, we call the lake. <laughs> like, oh, is that church having a baptism service? No, we're having a millstone service. <laughs> Join us for Adventure Week. <laughs> Verse seven. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But that word woe, whew, that's heavy in the Greek. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Dads. I think there's a country song that talks about that. A little boy ended up spilling his McDonald's or something like that, and he cussed, and the dad's like, where'd you hear that from? From you, dad. I saw you do it. I heard you do that. You led, you gave me that example. Don't cause one of the little ones to stumble. Understand your role and your responsibility. It's one thing if we walk into our sin but to lead someone else, and that's what Jesus is having a struggle with. He says, I have this against you, that you're allowing, you're tolerating, you're allowing someone to lead other people away from a vibrant relationship with me. You're standing by. You might not be participating in it, great, but you're standing by idle. You're standing by useless. You're standing by watching the destruction happen and you're doing nothing about it. It's one of the hardest things about youth ministry. I was a youth pastor for like 10 years. I know I look good for that. Usually you look really old and weathered when youth ministry. But I think youth ministry is one of the hardest ministry jobs. You get front row seats to watching teenagers destroy their lives. It's like they're playing in the, on the highway and I, I'm right on the shoulder, hollering and shouting warnings and, and calls of repentance and to turn away from that, trying to encourage them that there's a better way of life, knowing the whole time that the Mack truck is just barreling down on them. 
but I can't jump into the road and pull them out. It has to be their decision. And you just watch time and time again where sin, destruction, and the world's ways and the systems just obliterate young men and young women's lives. And I get covered with the mess. So many times the counseling isn't the before the, the issue, it's always afterwards. And if I had a dollar every time I heard, I wish I would have just listened to you on the front end. Yeah. And it's same for the church today, that we have an amazing Savior calling us out to a better way of life. And how many times do we, like a dog running after their own vomit, do we go back to our sin? And not only is that, we just stand by. It's almost like everybody's saying, like you're seeing the atrocities of this, and you're just standing by with your army gloves on. Sorry. Watching, not doing anything. How much hate has to be in us to see our fellow brother and sister in Christ ruining their lives before we'll actually step out? Well, I don't want to be that weird. Like who? That's the tension. But be the church in Thyatira, the ones where Jesus is saying, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, it's growing. Allow your love, your faith, your service to one another. Don't stand by idle, but stand by ready and willing to step into each other's lives. Is it going to be awkward? Yes, it should be. Because even though I'm stepping into people's lives, there's people that step into my life. Well, who am I to step into somebody's life if I have people step into my life? That's called the church. That's called the family of faith. That's the body of believers. That's where we need each other. I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. Jeff is right there. I have asked him, help me stay sexually pure in my life. I want you to see everything that I search for on any device that I have access to. He is my accountability partner. Well, pastor, I mean, you've been to seminary. You have four ministry degrees. Aren't you strong enough on my own? No, the moment I start thinking that, that shows how weak I really am. No, I need faithful, strong men in my life. Why? Because I'm smack dab in the middle of my own sanctification, like the rest of you. We need each other. Life groups isn't for fun. Life groups is for walking in purity and righteousness and holiness, walking in grace and mercy, inviting people into our lives to say, hey, I see this. Because what we have to understand is, look at verse 23b, and all the church will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. Nothing is hidden from Jesus. And before, like in all the other letters so far that we've covered, Jesus will, hey, I have this against you and this is what I need from you. This is what I need that change from you. But here in Thyatira, you got a little bit more because before he asks the church to respond, you know what he says? Let me tell you what I am going to do. So before he calls the church and what they need to do, he tells them what I'm going to do. And three times in this short little passage, Jesus is saying, I will, three different times, and look at the first one. He says, I will. He provides mercy for repentance, even with this Jezebel. Again, no one's too far gone past grace. 
we think of Revelation and we think it's just the wrath of God and evil and destruction and everything horrible, but when we see Jesus responding to those that are deep entrenched in sin, what's his response? Here's mercy for repentance. So if there's an area of your life that you have a little Jezebel in your heart and your mind, there is mercy for repentance, that God loves you, that he's not gonna go quick to judgment, but first he wants to bring mercy and grace in your life. He wants to give you time to repent and get right with him. But what happens if we reject him? That's when judgment comes. Because if we reject the grace and the mercy and the love of God, we've made our decision. And God will honor your decision to reject him. And it sets an example for the other churches. Like I've done that with my kids, right? Discipline this one really good so that the other three, I'm not messing with dad. I had one elder at my previous church. He's like in his 60s, but when he was a young teenager, uh, he was about middle of like six or seven boys, right? Pray for that mom. And at one point, when the oldest son was about 16 or 17, he thought, you know what? It's just about time that I fight dad. You know what? Dad's been running his mouth a little too much. And I'm about, it's, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm younger, I'm stronger, I'm scrappy. It's about time that me and dad go head to head. So he challenged his dad to a fight. And all the other little brothers are sitting there in the living room. The mom's like crying because she knows how this is going to end, right? Like, don't kill them. Just whatever you do, don't kill them. And the little brothers are cheering them on. Come on, Joe, knock them out. Take them, da, da, da. And he swings at his dad. His dad knocks him clean out in one hit. It's like, your dad really fought him? He goes, oh, yeah. Because he said later, because if I don't, I know I'll have to fight every one of those little brothers. <laughs> But his son was poking the bear, and he set him as an example. God does that in the Old Testament with Achan. Sets him in his, in his example to Israel. He does that even in the early church. You lie about what you give unto the church. Yeah, they're dragging dead bodies out of the early church. He sets an example to the body. That there was fear and awe and wonder that overcame the church that he was setting as an example. And so even here, Jesus is gonna use that. If you reject his grace and his mercy, he can do whatever he wants with you. And if that is to use you, to set you as an example to others, to say, hey, God, yes, he is a merciful, graceful, loving God, but he's also a God of holiness and righteousness and purity. And he will not be mocked. You will reap whatever you sow. And so what about everybody else in the church? In this corrupted church, there seems like there's a remnant of a few that are holding fast. And I love what Jesus says. He says, verse 24, I do not lay on you any other burden. Like it's, it's almost like he's saying watching everyone else destroy their faith in their life, yeah, that's painful enough. Having those front row seats to watching people just absolutely decimate themselves, yeah, I'm not gonna put another burden on you. Because what you have to witness and watch and what you're trying to deal with with people that you worship together in and with, yeah, I'm not gonna put another burden on you. Because it's burden enough to watch the wicked make the church a playground for Satan. Instead, he tells them, just hold fast. Go back to the beginning. Don't stop growing in your love. Keep loving me. Keep loving one another. Keep loving your enemies. Might even be those ones in the church 
that are trying to pull you away into sin, love them. Keep growing in your faith. Keep trusting Jesus with your life. Like, Lord, I mean, it's thigh tire. It's getting pretty crazy down here. Yep. Keep trusting the Lord in and through it. Is our world getting a little crazy? Have you read the news lately? How should we respond? Keep growing in love. Keep growing in faith. Keep growing in your service to the church. It's not what's the least you can do for the church, but what's the most you can do? You know, to lay it on thicker if we need to, to really talk about it. Like for us to refuse to serve, we're going against our created order. Turn to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter two. We love Ephesians two when we get to verse eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, amen. It's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship is poema. You are God's beautiful poem. Like, no, I'm a man's man. No, you are God's beautiful poem. This poetry of salvation and creation, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so what Paul is telling us is our created design for who we are is to serve one another. And so to refuse to serve within the church is to go against your created order and design. That every one of us, myself included, we are called to serve. Serving in the church literally is just the first step, not the final step. We serve within here where we have love and grace and sometimes we fall on our faces and we get picked back up or we miss and this is the training ground to serve so that when we walk out of these walls, it's not our first rodeo. That's JJ's testimony. He said the words to me. And if I'm lying, call out the lying pastor on the pulpit. He said, I really do appreciate our time at Calvary. And and JJ and Whitney were life group leaders here leading and discipling a small group of people and doing life together, serving, discipling, fellowshipping together. He goes, that has helped so much in my training that there, there was things in the church that, that an ethnos training facility could not provide that only the church could. And then there, so there's a small part of Calvary that gets to go down to Baboregame. Did I get it? I get it, I got it. In Mexico, a small part of Calvary that gets to go there and help disciple, because it's gonna be the same thing, just a different language. But the training inside the church so that when he gets to Mexico, it's not his first rodeo. That he's led small groups of people, him and his wife, both very dedicated to the church. From kids ministry to life groups, honestly, just being a good friend to some of us staff pastors. I've tried to talk him out of it. I've thrown money at him. I've thrown cars. I've thrown houses. Because if I can talk you out of it, I should. He says, no, this is what God has called me to do, to serve him in Mexico. And so we can't go against our created order. That if we all would step into the fullness of what God calls us to serve him in and through, there would be no need in the church. I can give you three ministries right now that need people. We can't open up Full Cow Kids first service even though we need to because we don't have people. Now, yeah, we got to background check you and all that. We got to train you up. That's good. 
And we will provide that training and that leadership. But we can't teach heart. We can't teach heart to serve. That's something that we're praying that God would bring and transform. But what do we do? In the midst of all this crazy, he says, just hold fast. Don't stop growing in your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. You might feel like you're in the minority, and that's probably true. Even for us today, as followers of Jesus, in the world around us, we're in the minority. But it doesn't mean we're on the losing side. We just hold fast to what he's called us to do. How's this all going to work out? He's still sovereign. He's still in control. We can trust him. We just need to understand what is he calling us. So even today, hold fast, keep his works until he's done. So if Jesus is calling for us to keep working, then that means there's still work for us, that there's still work to be done. So it doesn't matter if you're nine or 99, that if you have a pulse, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he wants to bring you into the fullness of that the fullness of love, the fullness of faith, the fullness of service, the fullness of patiently enduring the world. Doesn't that sound like a fun ministry? Sign me up for that. But listen to the reward. All through uh, these seven churches, you hear Jesus saying, hey, I have this against you. If you'll do this, here's the reward. Here's my response to you if you would do this. In verse 28, he says, I will give him the morning star. You know who the morning star is? Revelation 22, 16. Jesus is the morning star. And I know, it rattles my theology. I thought, well, I thought I fully had Jesus. So if I, as a follower of Jesus, you know, conquer and keep holding fast and press into my love, my faith, my service, my patient endurance, and then I'm gonna get a reward of the morning star, which is Jesus, but I have Jesus, how do I have Jesus and get more of Jesus? There's the tension of Christianity. This is where that finite brain does not understand what he means, but I understand that an infinite God says, yeah, you fully have me, but if you conquer and you lean into this, I will give you more of who I am. So I don't know what that means. I don't know what that fullness is, but if he is a good father, and I believe him to be, and a good father knows how to give good gifts, I'm in. Just like we've talked about the crown of life. What's that? I don't know. But if Jesus is giving those out, I'll take a couple. Some of that hidden manna that we talked about last week, I love bread. What's a white stone with a name on it that only he knows that he's going to give? I don't know what that means. But if Jesus is saying, hey, if you would hold fast, if you will just keep my works until the end, you're going to have authority over the nations. Then I'm going to give you the morning star. I, I don't know what those fully mean. But I'm just trusting the person and the character of God. And he's been faithful 100% of the time. And so I don't have to wonder and think, is he going to be faithful even in this moment? That if I live my life laid out in full love, faith, service, patient, endurance, am I going to be disappointed when I get to the end of my life and I stand before the Lord? No. I don't think anybody could be. I don't think any of us are gonna look at him and whatever reward he has for us, whatever heaven is gonna be, whatever it means to be in his presence. I don't think any of us are gonna be like, but has he been to the Lake of the Ozark? I mean, it's beautiful at sunset. Has he been to Yellowstone? None of us are gonna be disappointed. He is worth it. 
He is worth whatever time you have left of your life to serve him faithfully. That whatever you would endure, whatever consequences would come in serving Christ, honoring Christ, putting your faith in Christ, he is worth it. And it's really hard because like, as the pastor, obviously I'm, I'm trying to articulate that, but I'm just gonna be honest, it's one of those things that I can say, but you won't fully understand until you experience the faithfulness of God. It's kind of like a really good roller coaster. I can tell you about all the twists and the turns and the going upside down and how fast and my daughter got a bloody nose on it. I can tell you all the crazy, true story. But until you're strapped in and you feel the G-force of going a bazillion miles an hour, you won't know. But that's where we need his word. Is he who he says he is? Is he faithful to his word? Absolutely. Is he a good father? Yes. Yes, he is. He is worthy of our trust. So I just encourage you. Keep holding fast to his works. Keep growing in your love and your faith. Keep growing in your service to God. Keep growing in your patiently enduring the brokenness and the sinfulness of our world around us. He's in control. Just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we just thank you. The words almost seem fairly shallow to say, but happy Father's Day. That we honor you for being the greatest father that we would ever know. And we thank you that that's that's who you are, and that's who you call us to step and to approach you in as, as a good father. And so we ask that you would continue to lead and guide us, that you would continue to give us wisdom where we lack, that you would show us the way in which we are to walk, all the things that a good father should be doing for his children. Keep doing that work in us. We thank you for grace and mercy that we were given time for repentance and confession, that you give us time for transformation where there's areas of our lives that we try to hold away from you, that we try to keep control of, that we're not laying over to you, Lord. I just pray that you would work your grace and your mercy in us, that you would continue to bring transformation to our heart and mind, knowing that you already know it, you already search it, but I pray that you would find in us trust and obedience, Lord. Continue to lead and guide us, that we would be your hands, your feet, your heart. Let it be in our own lives, our own heart and mind. Let it be in our families, our workplaces, and this community. Give us patient endurance to hold fast to what you have called us to do, knowing that there's a day drawing near that you're coming home for us, to take us to be with you. So we rest in your promise, but until then, I, f- I pray that you would find us faithfully responding to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. amen.